right. <laughs> Here's what I want you to do. Pull out a, your outline, your, your program, and something to write with, pencil, paper, lipstick, mascara. And I want to see how well you paid attention. There were three heroes mentioned in that pre-teaching. Who were they? Write it down, all right? There were three heroes. We actually not only mentioned their name, we put their name in writing on the video. Let's see, uh, let's see how well you uh, were paying attention. You ready? All right, how many of you think you got all three? All right, hold on, look, raise it high. Look around. Most of you just were praying for me as I got ready to preach, weren't you? All right, who was the first one? Yeah, there was three. There was Martin Luther King Jr., and he is a civil rights, right, nonviolent hero um, in the 1960s. And then there was Martin Luther. Who's Martin Luther? The father of the Reformation, right, the Protestant church. And this is the five, year 500, so we're celebrating uh, the, the 500th year of, um, uh, of the beginning of that movement. And then who was the last one? Billy Graham, yeah, one of the uh, greatest evangelists before all the social media and the internet and all that kind of thing. How many of you got all three of them? <laughs> Don't tell the video team, all right? Uh, you know, I, I, I just thought that would be fun, but I, I do want to take a moment before we get into the teaching because this is, um, you know, a, a vision series in the sense of it's once a year, we try to remember where we've been, where we're going, what God's calling us to do as a family. You know, we come, we learn, we grow, but there are things that we do together that we can't do by ourselves. God, the church is God's idea. And the idea of the church is not just for you and me as individuals, but God's idea for the church is to impact our world. Now, as the church, not just potential, but as the church, we're doing a pretty crappy job at it, right? I mean, the world's not moving in the direction of God. It seems to be going in the other direction. So it's like, what can we do? How can we really make a difference? Well, in, Steph and I came in the year 2000. Now, next year we celebrate 40 years as a church, but Steph and I have been here for about 17 years. So in the year 2000, since we're just coming out of Easter, I thought I would kind of compare what God's done in those 17 years. When I came in 2000, that Easter we had right around 4,200 people in attendance, all right? And as you heard Tyler a few moments ago, we had over 18,000 um, this Easter. So in those 17 years, we've seen uh, a lot more people come to Christ and engage in this family anyways called Potential Church. In the year 2000, that whole year, 52 weekends, we baptized 125 people, all right? Baptism, that step of obedience. Uh, on Easter, just that one weekend, we baptized 209 people. Um, which is pretty exciting. Um, we saw 834 decisions for Christ. In the year 2000, the offering was around $65,000, and last weekend the offering was $237,254. So we've seen God do a whole lot of incredible things in the lives of ordinary people, just like you and me, in those 17 years. And I think about now, how do we continue to move forward? How do we continue to progress? Well, 
you, you know, every week, and I, I don't know how engaged you are to see what God does in the lives of the folks we partner with, you know, whether it be uh, orphanage, whether it be feeding people, whether it be marriage counseling, uh, whether it be reaching out to teenagers, all of those different things that happen. And then we come together this time of the year and we say, above and beyond, what do we want to run after? Because uh, how do, you know, in last year, we talked about three things. We talked about, first of all, we want to impact the next generation. The enemy changes the world by reaching the young people. And so we said, you know, we want to, we want to impact the next generation. And so we said we were going to begin a college and we were going to do some remodeling in the student facility that they meet in uh, throughout the week over there. So we did uh, those things. We had, for our first year, we had 15 uh, full-time students, which is pretty exciting, uh, partnering with Southeastern University, Potential College, which is an accredited um, academically. Uh, it's pretty exciting to see that. Now, if you're new hanging out here, we also have a school that goes through uh, eighth grade uh, because, again, we want to impact the next generation. We did some remodeling over there. If you've been upstairs to where the college meets or uh, even in the, the lower auditorium there where the students meet, with new chairs and, and those kind of things. The other thing we said we wanted to do was new media. We said we wanted to get involved in, you know, uh, Netflix and all uh, YouTube and, and just all the different stuff, Apple TV, iTunes, that kind of thing. So we partnered with a priest and a rabbi to, to produce um, a, a kind of a talk show where we could look from different perspectives at at scripture and at practical things we all deal with, with the goal being in mind to challenge people to think. That what does the Bible really say? Why do you believe what you believe? Is there any depth to it, any reality to it? And sometimes it's not until you hear a different opinion that you're challenged to think about what you, what you really believe. So, so we're, we've worked on that. We've done some episodes with that. Um, uh, started a vlog, which is incredibly interesting about... Nothing, uh, 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 if you haven't checked it out at YouTube backslash Troy Gramling. Uh, and that's been kind of neat. We've been doing it for a few months and I think have around uh, 20,000 subscribers. Uh, again, just garnering influence to get the word out. Um, and then the third thing we talked about was launching a campus that, you know, we, we want to impact our community. I mean, this has got to be about more than just you because if it's just about you, then you don't have the real thing. Jesus said that he came for us. He said, pray that there are uh, harvesters. The harvest is white, he says. There are lots of people that need hope. He says there's just not enough people who are willing to go and give that hope. So this is never about you, just you or just me. It's about what we do when we come together. And so we, we want to launch more campuses where more marriages can be restored, more students can be given hope, and more lives can be changed. Um, along with the ones in Pensacola, we did start a new campus in Lima. Um, a, a kind of a really unique. If you haven't been over there, I encourage you to go on a mission trip over there to see one of our campuses. And then we've been looking here. Now, it's been more difficult because we want something that, that some of you guys are going to go and help us get started. How, anybody here live north, okay, of Griffin Road? Does anybody live north of Griffin Road, you know, towards 595? Um, we've been looking for property, and because uh, we need it to be a certain size and have certain parking spots and all that kind of stuff, kind of like a, 
a sports authority that went out of business that we could remodel. Um, and every time we found one, somebody else already had it. But we, we have found um, a place that's, that is usable. Um, it's in Sunrise, and um, we're working on the details there. So I would ask you to pray for that so that we can give you more information if it, if it, if it moves uh, forward. I think that it will, and we could launch a new campus, and Steph and I could, uh, of course, be a part of that as well. So just excited about the incredible things that God is doing. Now, last year, if you remember, I challenged you to do these three things. I said, hey, to do them, we're going to need a million and a half dollars above our regular tithes and offering." Because our regular tithes and offering are what allow us to do the things that we do on a weekly basis as far as making a difference in our community. Um, we didn't quite get there in this season because Temple Centurion is, we always want to start it with a large offering and then people give throughout the year. And it's one of those things that everybody can be if they so choose. It's like a cup of Starbucks, cup of coffee, um, you know, each week throughout the season. But... Um, we got, we got close to $750,000, so we got about halfway there. So we made some real progress, um, even though, you know, we weren't able to, to get all the resources that we needed. So as we go into this new season, we want to, you, you know, challenge us. May the 20th and 21st is when we're going to have our, our big offering, you know, and uh, so that we, uh, you know, can... Um, finish these things so that we can, can finish the remodeling uh, for the students over there so that we can uh, continue in the new media and uh, you know in the fall we want to move into that to that new campus so that we can impact that side of Broward County as as well um, so, so those things are really exciting now again if you're new here this is what we do at Potential we uh, challenge folks to tithe because I believe it's biblical. If you don't, I encourage you to look, look at what the scripture says. Here's what I understand the Bible to say, is that God wants us to return to him 10% of everything he gives us because everything I have, everything you have, God has given us, okay? And he says that there's a blessing as a result of that. Now, I don't know whether you believe that or not. I know most people don't. Nationally, one to two percent of people who call themselves Christians actually tithe. When you think about what the church has done on the little that it's been given, I'm talking about the church worldwide, it's incredible. It's the most effective organization um, on the planet in helping, in helping people. But I encourage you to see what the Bible says because there there's a big blessing according to Scripture on, on the other side of that. In addition to that, we, challenge, we take, uh, receive two offerings each year. One is greatest gift at Christmas time. We challenge people to give their greatest gift to Christ as we're going in to the new year. And the other is Temple Centurion, which we start with a large offering and then it goes all throughout the year. We don't take a bunch of offerings throughout the year for a bunch of different things. Um, there we give to those things and we're part of those things, but it's through these two offerings and our regular giving in which we do that. Now, this is Temple Centurion time. And I just want to challenge you to do what God wants you to do, to really give some thought and prayer to this so that you don't miss out on what God wants to do in your life. The hardest thing about being a pastor is so many folks sit in those chairs and never change. 
They never change. They, 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 they never find real happiness or real joy. And I, don't, I think it's because they never engage. I don't know what God wants you to do, but I know he wants you to enter into and wrestle with as you try to figure out. And one of the best areas to wrestle with God is in the area of money because you care. You care about your money, and you've got a limited amount of it. So it, it, there's a great wrestling match that happens there. You know, in addition to that, one of the things that, that, or that we've done here is not only launch campuses, but because we believe so passionately that we can impact the world, we've started uh, churches um, in the last several years. We've started a church in New York, which now has a campus just north of us in West Palm. We've started a church in Utah. Um, to reach the Mormons. We started a church in Miramar, which is, of course is just over here. We started a church in Kansas City. We started one in Minnesota, and Pastor Frank is going to be starting one in the fall in Wellington, which is just north of us. And when we start those churches, we partner with the folks to train them, to equip them, but also financially. So there are folks that are being reached in Utah because of your greatest gift or because you're a Temple Centurion. I'm proud of that because we could spend that money right here. I mean, the carpet right here at our Cooper City Auditorium is crappy because, you know, we spilled coffee on it. And it's just crappy because it's ugly. It was ugly when we bought it. It still is 12 years later. I mean, we, we could buy new carpet. But at this time, we believe it's more transformational to start a church in Minnesota or in Wellington to impact people. Now, that's sacrificial, right? It's people you probably don't know. It's a place you may never go. Uh, but it's what Jesus calls us to do. And I am proud to be a part of a group of people who are willing to not just do things for themselves. That's what Temple Centurion's about, and I, I just encourage you um, to give some thought about that. Now, if you look at the, the outline that I gave you, I, I, I kind of wanted to start the series uh, with this idea. I gave you a definition for tattoo, okay? What is a tattoo? A tattoo, according to Webster, is to mark the body with a picture or pattern by using a needle to put color under the skin. Let me say it again. To mark the body with a picture or pattern by using a needle, put a uh, color under the skin. Think of it like this way, to mark the body. Now, this teaching is not, this series is not going to be about, you know, tattoos. Are they good? Are they bad? You know, are they right? Are they wrong? I think you can look at me and pretty well determine where I fall out on that discussion, okay? But I do think there are some things that we can learn about how God marks us, all right? And, and uh, comparing it to the way in which people are tattooed. I, I put in your outline that you are marked for success, that God marks us for success. Now, what does that mean? I mean, that's a pretty big statement. What does it mean to be marked by success? Well, success is uh, you doing and being what you were created to do and be. It is reaching your destiny. We say here at Potential, our desire is to partner with you to reach your potential, to be everything that God has created you to be uh, as a husband, as a wife, as a college student, as a boyfriend, a girlfriend, as a supervisor, as a Christ follower. That's what success is. It's when you live out the dream that's in your heart. It's when you get up with passion in your day. Um, so you are marked to accomplish that according to the scripture, all right? So, so that's what I want us to see both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well. Now, this is what it looks like in the Old Testament. 
In Genesis 15, God raises up a gentleman by the name of Abram, who will change his name to Abraham. He goes to Abraham and he says, I want to begin with you. I'm going to raise up a nation. Before this, there were no Jews, there were no Hebrews, there were no Israelites. It all began with Abraham, and it began with a covenant. It began with a promise where God said, I'm going to bless the world. I need to raise up a people in which to bless the world, in which to mark the world for success. If you read Genesis 3, Adam and Eve screwed it up, but God promised that he would bring redemption. And he said that he was going to do it through Abraham and his coming generations. Now, in, in Genesis 17, um, there is, of course, on Abraham's, like, this incredible excitement. And you see how much Abraham believes this. Abraham believes what God is telling him, that God is going to use him, even though he's an old man, to raise up a generation, to raise up a people that God's going to bless the whole world through. And God says, though, in order to do this, I need to... Um, well, I need to, he gives him a symbol. There are two symbols in the Old Testament. There are the food laws that are found in Leviticus, uh, what's kosher, what they could eat, what they couldn't, and there was circumcision. So God says, I'm going to mark you, Abraham, and I'm going to mark you and all of your people with circumcision as a reminder that I'm making a promise to them that they will be successful and that the world will be blessed through them. And so Abraham goes out at the age of 99. Well, just read that. I put it in your outline. Genesis 17. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. And you know who circumcised him? Himself. You know what he did it with? A rock. That's just painful to think about, isn't it? Right? That'll wake you up on a Sunday morning. <laughs> he, he, he is circumcised, and not only him, but his son Ishmael, who was 13. They, they weren't children. Now, God told him in the future to do it on the eighth day. But here, uh, Abraham was 99 years old, and Ishmael was 19 years old. And this was a mark. This was a reminder. You are marked. You could say you are tattooed for success. Now, if you know the story, Abraham gave birth to another son whose name was Isaac. Isaac gave birth to a couple of sons named Jacob and Esau. Jacob gave birth to 12 sons, one of them being Joseph, who ended up in Egypt because there was a famine in the land. They all eventually end up in Egypt. And the scripture says that a Pharaoh came into power that didn't remember Joseph. And these Hebrews, this new... Um, people ends up being slaves to the Egyptians. Moses is raised up. He comes to Pharaoh and he says, God told me to tell you, Pharaoh, let his people go because he's marked them for success. And Pharaoh said, uh-uh, it's not going to happen. No way. God sends 10 plagues. Eventually, Pharaoh says, I agree. Your God is God. And he sets the people free. They are on their way to the promised land. Now, in the Old Testament, when you're reading about the promised land, how should you apply that to your life? What does it mean to, to, to go to the promised land? There are some old songs where they think about it being heaven. But it's not heaven because in the promised land there are giants and there are battles. 
God is totally sovereign in heaven. There are no battles. There are no giants in heaven. It is abundance. The promised land is a picture of God's promise. It's a picture of success. It's a picture of destiny. So when you're reading about how the people of God are getting to the promised land, you're reading about how you experience what God has promised you. The success that God's put in your heart, the dreams that God has put in your heart, they are on their way to their destiny, to their dreams. Well, if you were here last weekend, they start going in circles. They get on the carousel and they're not making any progress. And then eventually God raises up Joshua and they cross the Jordan River and they are on the verge of their destiny. They're on the verge of their dream. Have you ever been there? You ever been to where it's like you can see it, you can smell it, I mean, you can taste it. I mean, it, your dream is right there, and all you need is a, maybe just for the, the loan officer to say yes, or, or for the, you know, the, the lady you asked to marry you to say yes, or, or for the pregnancy to be confirmed, whatever that dream is, whatever that, I mean, you can, you can see it. Well, that's, that's where they are. They're on the verge of, of, of succeeding, and I want you to see what God says to them. God says in uh, Joshua chapter 5, And at that time the Lord said to Joshua, uh, Joshua, uh, make flint knives, at least they have knives now, not just rocks, and circumcise the Israelites. Why? Because when they were on the merry-go-round, they stopped circumcising their children. And so before they can enter into the promised land, God says, I want you to go out and I want you to circumcise all of the Israelites. And that's what Joshua did. So, so now, what does that mean? Well, what was God saying? He was saying that there, before you enter in, there are some things that need to be cut away from your life to go in. You're about to go to a new level. Now, they had walked with God through the wilderness. I mean, they had crossed the Jordan River without being circumcised. But now they were about to go to a new level. Now they were about to live their dream. They, they were going to a brand new place. And God says, you can't enter into that before you cut away some of the things in your life. Because in the promised land, those things will distract you. They will destroy you. In your destiny, there are new temptations. In your destiny, there are new challenges. There are new giants. And in order to be able to overcome those things, you need something, uh, some things cut away. So now think about that. What, what might those things be in our lives? There are things that in the past may not have bothered us or convicted us. There are things that in the past that we did without God nudging our heart. Maybe it's words. And all of a sudden you started to notice that the words that come out of your mouth, you feel convicted about them. You feel like God's tapping you on the shoulder and you're kind of like, no, I'm, man, I've said those things all my life. Or maybe it's a temper. Maybe all of a sudden the way you're acting on the freeway or the way you treat your employees or the way you respond to your kids, it's like all of a sudden it begins to, to, to nudge your heart. You're like, where is this coming from? I've always gotten mad on the freeway, you know? I've, I've always acted. Maybe it's the shows that you watch or the movies that you go to or the, the, the songs that you listen to. 
I mean, you used to listen and go and do all of that stuff. Maybe it's uh, the clubs that you hang out in or whatever. Things that in the past didn't bother you, but now they begin to bother you. Why? Because God's about to take you into your destiny. God's about to take you to a brand new place. But in order for you to enter in, there are some things that you have to cut away. There are some things that you have to allow God to take out of your life. And you know what's hard about that? Not everybody understands. Like, what, what, what's up with you, man? You used to listen to that stuff all the time. Now, all of a sudden, you're holy. You used to hang out with us. You used to go with us all the time there. And you and I will be faced in that moment with the most important decision we may ever make about whether or not we live our destiny or we accomplish our dreams. And um, that's exactly what's going on here in the Old Testament. God says, right there it is. But in order for you to go in, they need to be circumcised. Those things <clears throat> need to be cut away from our lives. Well, that's what it looks like in the Old Testament. I want you to see in our closing minutes the way it plays out in the New Testament. Because we have God's promise written in ink in John 10.10. 10. Can we read it out loud at all of our campuses? Okay, John 10.10. 10. You ready? Here we go. My purpose is to give them a yeah, rich and satisfying. Now, how many of you will sign up for that? This is the words of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus says, you know what? My, here's why I'm here. To give them a rich and satisfying life. That is my purpose. That is your promise. That is what God wants to mark or tattoo on you. How or what does this tattoo look like? What does a successful... Uh, uh, or being tattooed by success look like? Well, he tells us in Romans 2.29. It's the mark of God on your heart. God tattoos our heart, not of a knife on your skin that makes you a Jew. What? Makes you a Jew? What, what, what's he mean? Well, what is a Jew in the Old Testament? It's a person of the promise, isn't it? What is he saying? He's saying it is a mark on your heart, not on your skin, that makes you a person of the promise. In other words, Jesus has made us this promise. And the symbol of this promise is not a tattoo on our skin. It's a tattoo on our heart. It's not circumcision. It's circumcision of, of the heart. That, that's what this, in the New Testament, it means to be tattooed for success. So here's where I want us to kind of compare what these look like. What does it look like to be tattooed for success? Well, what do we know about tattoos? Well, the first thing we know is that tattoos are permanent. Therefore, you need to count the cost. Tattoos are permanent. Should you ever decide to get a tattoo and you tell, tell somebody, the first thing they're going to say is, you know, they're permanent. They last forever. And when you get old, they're going to be ugly. And why are they going to be ugly? Because they're permanent. So you need to count the cost. You, you don't need to get a tattoo because it's a trendy thing to do. Because trends change, don't they? Let me show you a trend from the 1970s, if you happen to be around then. Leisure suits. It's the latest look in men's casual wear. Great styles and great looking fabrics. Anybody here have a leisure suit? When I was a kid, my cousin gave me a blue one. I was so proud of it. I couldn't wait to wear it. Had, but now if you had a leisure suit, you had to have something that went with it. And it was this right here. 
Yeah, platform shoes. I had some white ones to wear with my blue leisure suit. Now, that's a trend. If you wear that today, we're going to laugh at you, okay? Well, maybe you weren't, how about the 80s? Remember this? MC Hammer Pants. Anybody have MC Hammer Pants? Yeah. <laughs> Again, you don't wear those today. If you do, you get mocked at. Why? It was just a trend. Trends change. So when it comes to being marked by Christ, it's permanent. In other words, it's a big decision. It lasts forever. So you don't want to just do it because it's a trendy thing. Look, look, I love the fact that Jesus calls this out, even in our culture today. Because we live in a day where it's like, hey, I'm just going to raise my hand so that I go to heaven, don't go to hell, and God gives me what I need because he loves me, but I'm going to live how I want to. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 14. He says, if any of you, talking about you and me, come to me without hating your own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and yes, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Wow. Right? Jesus saying, look, this is a big deal being tattooed by me. And what does it mean to hate your mother, your brother? Well, it's, 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 it's a terminology of priority. Jesus is saying, look, if your spouse takes priority over me, if your kids take priority over me, if you and your wants take priority over me, guess what? You can't be my disciple. You can be religious, but you cannot be a disciple. You cannot get tattooed. I mean, he, he's just drawing the line. And if you, I, I didn't put it all in there, but if you go and you read the whole text, he says, who builds a tower without first sitting down and determining how much it costs? He says, because if you don't, you're going to get halfway there, and then you're going to run out of money, and everybody's going to mock you. He says, who goes to war? without sitting down and determining whether or not their 10,000 can beat the enemy's 20,000. Now, what, what, what is he saying? He's saying that, if, that you and I need to count the cost of what it means to be a Christ follower. Why do people not believe so many times? It's because what we say is not what we follow through on. We say that we are people of joy and peace, and yet we end in divorce just like everybody else because we didn't count the cost. We're just as depressed as everybody else. God says that he will take care of you and me financially if we'll trust him with our finances, but we're just as broke as everybody else. And so the world looks at us and they do what? They mock you. Because they don't see the reality of our faith. Then Jesus says, look, I'm talking about tattoo. I'm talking about permanent. And so he says, just sit down and say, and understand, this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about being a Christ follower. I'm talking about me and my um, will in your life being priority of your life. Now, because it's permanent, it means it's painful, right? It's just like if you go get a tattoo and people tell you sometimes, you know what, it doesn't hurt. They're lying to you. 
It hurts, all right? There are certain places it hurts. It hurts. Why does it hurt? Because they're sticking a needle into your skin. They're putting ink in that needle, which is thick. It, it hurts. But if it didn't hurt, then it wouldn't be permanent. The fact that it hurts doesn't mean that your tattoo artist is doing it wrong. It means that they're doing it right so that those lines and pictures can actually be seen and that they are permanent. Well, the same way is true in our, in our life in following Christ. It's permanent. And because it's permanent, there, there is pain that is involved because God doesn't just want us to, he doesn't want us to have stick on tattoo. Where it's like, here it is, but then it fades away. No, no. He wants our joy to be real. He, he wants our compassion to be real. He wants our humility to be real. It's not what we do. It's who we are. And the only way and for those things to be real in our life is for them to get etched into our heart. Pain does that. You, you can think you're something. Until the doctor walks in and says, we found cancer. And it doesn't matter how much money you got. And it doesn't matter how many doctor friends you have. And it doesn't matter how many carrots you eat. You, you can't will it away. And all of a sudden, that pain brings about what? Humility. You can be a horrible spouse, but all of a sudden when they walk out the door and no matter what you do, you can't get them back into your life, that pain humbles you. So, so pain, because it is permanent, because when God etches our heart, it's permanent, that permanency, uh, pain is what brings that about, that patience and endurance and humility and compassion. They're the result. They're the result of that, that pain. Here's, here's the second thing. Tattoos are visible. Therefore, they take courage. When our life is marked by God, it, it's visible. If you decide one day you're going to get a tattoo, the first question you have to determine after you decide what you're going to get is you have to decide where you're going to put it. I mean, you've got a whole body. Put it in a million different places. Be, and it's important where you put it. Why? Because tattoos are visible. And you will have people who will tell you, make sure you put it somewhere where you can hide it. Because you may have a job or an opportunity one day where you, you want to hide it. Because if it's seen, it may cost you. It may cost you a job. It may cost you the way people think about you. So, so you need to put it in a place in which it can be hidden. Well, understand that when it comes to God tattooing your heart, you will have people say the same thing. They will tell you, it's okay, you got the religion thing, but don't go crazy. Don't start praying when we all go out to eat lunch. Right? I mean, it's fine. Keep, why do you have to wear your faith on your sleeve? It ought to be just between you and God. Right? Keep it hidden. Keep, keep your sleeves rolled down. But see, when God tattoos our heart, it is visible. That's why it takes courage. Because you and I have to, no, no, this is real. It, it, it's visible. It is seen. Look what the scripture says in Matthew chapter 5. It says, here's another way to put it. You're here. This is Jesus talking to you and me as, as people he has tattooed or marked. He says, you're here to be light. Bringing out the God colors in the world. 
God's not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you here on the hilltop, on a light stand, what's the next word? Shine. So, man, I, want you to, I want you to shine. I want you to show off your tattoo. Why? Or how? Keep an open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll promote... Uh, You'll prompt people to open up to God, the generous Father in heaven. In other words, people will see something in you that they desire. It's like roll up your sleeves. See, when God tattoos our heart, it's visible. Now, now think about that because we're really what we're talking about is we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Because remember, tattoos not on the outside, it's on the inside. So when God tattoos our heart, in other words, kindness... You're not acting kind. You're not, mm, I got to be kind. No, no. Now that's who you are. I've been told in the 17 years we've lived here in South Florida, I've been told, you know, that you have a kind spirit about you a million times more than I ever did in Arkansas. It's not because I've become more kind. It's because, well, it's different here in South Florida, right? Light shines brightest where? In the darkness. See, when you're kind, people may not understand it, but they can't ignore it. Why, why, why? Patience. It's not normal to be patient. If somebody cuts you off on the freeway, what are you supposed to do? Well, honk if you're nice, right? Tell them they're number one. Get as up on them as fast as you can. Cut them off. I mean, there's a million different things you can do, but patience, kindness, if you are patient, it is what? Visible. That, that, that's what, that's what the, the scripture's talking about. Let your light shine. And when people see that tattoo, when they see that your heart has been tattooed with kindness or forgiveness, well, why are you forgiving them? What they did was wrong. They had no right to say or do or act or treat you in the way that they treated you. But you're still forgiving them? Why? Because my heart has been tattooed by God's love. I am a person of forgiveness. It's what God has made me to be. It's visible. And what does that do? That attracts, that pulls uh, people into what we have. Tattoos are visible. And that takes courage, kindness, forgiveness, patience, joy. I mean, there's a lot of crappy, crazy stuff happening in our world, isn't there? A lot of things to be anxious about or afraid of, and yet you have peace and you have joy. And the person next to you is like, how, how, how do you have? Because my heart's been tattooed. Generosity. You know, we talked about Temple Centurion. We don't live in a world of generosity, do we? There's a big discussion now. You know, the president came out with his budget. And between Christian leaders, they're having this discussion. Some think that it's a good budget. Some think that it's just immoral because what he's doing is he's cutting a lot of foreign aid. And some are like, well, that's the best way to promote folks to get out of poverty or, you know, we need to take care of what's going on here in America. And others are saying, you know, that's not what, you know, that as Christians and Christ followers, we should, we should help uh, those people. And so there's this conversation going. Well, I don't know about the politics of it, but what I do know is it's not natural to be generous. 
Now, when I, and understand, when I say generous, I don't mean that it, rolling down your window and giving $5 to the guy on the side of the road. Most of the time when we do that, we do that not in the act of generosity. We do that, why? Because it makes us feel better. No, here, here, here's what generosity is. Generosity is when you and I reach in our pocket and we do something for someone else that's not going to get reported by any television or magazine. It's not going to be seen by anybody in the car behind us. And it's not going to help us in any way. We are simply being generous. We are simply giving, even sacrificially giving what we have to help others. That is not natural. Why in the world would you do that? Because I have been etched. I have been tattooed by the all-powerful God, and he gave what was of great priority of him for me, and therefore I, in turn, do the same thing. It takes courage to do that. If you're a generous person, I, I almost guarantee there have been times when you've been mocked or laughed. Why would you do that? Why would you help that person? Why would you give to that? Why do you trust them? See, and I put in your outline, it, it takes courage because it, it, tattoos are sometimes controversial. Not everybody likes tattoos. Some people may even think they're wrong. Look what it says in Matthew 5. It says, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. Here's the part I want you to hear. What it means is that the truth is too close to comfort and they are uncomfortable. In other words, when you are etched by God's love. You are tattooed by God's love and you show kindness. People don't like that. Why? Because your kindness reveals their unkindness. When you let someone in front of you, it reveals the fact that they honked when the very same thing happened. When you're generous, people don't like that. Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. You don't even have enough for this. Why would you give to that? And all those kind of things. Why? Because your generosity reveals my materialism. It shines the light on my selfishness, and I don't like that. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, it takes courage to be tattooed by Christ. Anybody can do what everybody's doing. Everybody can do what the world says is cool, but to stand up and say, no, no, I've been tattooed by Christ. There's a kindness, there's a joy, there's a peace, there's a generosity in me. And all of those things, right? Have you ever... Happy people, you know who they're not liked by? Unhappy people. Right? Oh, there they go again. They're always singing. Oh. Right? Why? Because their happiness does what? It shines a light on their unhappiness. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's saying that you will be persecuted. Why? Because it's visible. Oh, you can roll down your sleeves and pretend like you're not a Christian and... It doesn't take any courage at all to pretend, right? You can get the sticker, but the moment you decide you're going to roll up your sleeves and you're going to allow God to tattoo your heart, he says, you know what? There are going to be times, man, when you are mocked and you are laughed at and you are persecuted. Sometimes it can be as drastic as what's going on in the Middle East for Christ followers, but sometimes it can be exactly what's going on in your company that causes you to want to roll down your sleeve when it comes to your faith. It causes you to be afraid to invite the person at the desk next to you to come and hang out with you at the church. 
He says, they don't like it because it makes him uncomfortable. But he goes on and he says, but you can be glad when that happens. Even give a cheer. <laughs> For though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applauds. So it takes courage because it's visible. And then lastly, tattoos are personal. Therefore, we must be committed. Tattoos are personal. And what I mean by that is, you know, before you get a tattoo with your girlfriend's name, <clears throat> you better be committed. Right? Or one day you may find yourself in a difficult situation uh, with uh, the new girlfriend or new boyfriend. We had a, a guy on the staff team here one time that got the, the little seed, the potential church logo, tattooed on his leg. <clears throat> and then he left. And so he still has that seed tattooed up on, his, up on his leg. See, it's personal because nobody can get tattooed for you. Nobody can say, oh, you really need this. Let me do it for you. I mean, I can come to you and say, hey, you really need to trust Christ. You have to determine that. It's personal. And, and, and because it's personal, therefore, it, you have to make the commitment. I, I, I like this scripture. The last one that we'll read is Colossians 2. It says, in him, you were because we're going to kind of end where we started. In him, you were also circumcised or marked, tattooed with a mark or a tattoo, not performed by human hands. So the circumcision wasn't a physical circumcision. He says, your whole self ruled by the flesh or the skin, right, was put off, right? Remember we talked about to go in, to enter into something needs to be cut off or taken away. It was put off, that sin, that was taken away when you were what? Circumcised or marked by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. We'll come back to that. You might circle the word baptism. In which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So baptism is a picture of Jesus' death and resurrection. And the same is true for me. Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcised, uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave he forgave us of all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now I want to go back to verse 12 because we talk a lot about baptism here. He, he, he says that having been buried with him in baptism. Well, what is baptism? Baptism, you can think of it like this. We're, our heart is what's tattooed. But baptism is when we roll up the sleeves. Baptism is a revelation on the outside of what God has done on the inside. I really believe that the scripture teaches there are some of us that are not experiencing, we're not entering into the promised land. Why? Because we've got our sleeves rolled down. You've never been obedient in this area. You're saying, I'm a Christian, Troy, can't I just say it? Do I have to roll up my sleeves? Can't I just tell you, hey, I got a tattoo. I've been tattooed by Christ. Well, all I can tell you is Jesus determined that baptism was the way in which you did that. I didn't come up with that. The denomination didn't come up with that. Jesus did. 
Jesus says in Luke 3, 3, that the reason we are baptized is to reveal to the world the tattoo of our heart. We go into the water, come out of the water, the death and burial and resurrection of Christ and of you. And so I um, texted Pastor Danny and I said, you know, it's supposed to rain. Let's, let's bring in our big bucket over there because I think there are probably some of us who have had our sleeves down. And you need to roll them up. You need to be obedient, not for me, not for the church. Why? Why are you hiding on the outside what God has done on the inside? What excuse or reason? So I just encourage you, don't let baptism be the reason that you don't it doesn't save you baptism's not the tattoo it's just the rolling up of the sleeves so that what God has done can be seen so what we've done at potential for 15 years is trying to make it as easy as possible for you to make whatever decision you need to make to be what God's created you to be whether that's trusting him as the master lord CEO of your life or whether that's following him in baptism so if you'd like to get baptized after this service I would be honored to have that privilege to do so is um, there's some folks that they're standing even over here now that would answer your questions or do any answer uh, any of your questions help you you guys got all the answers you got them all all right they've got all the answers over there um, help you with whatever you need shirts shorts underoos nose plugs earplugs hat whatever you need just so you can roll up the sleeves and tell the world Hey, God has tattooed. He has marked. He has circumcised my heart. And I am different. Would you bow your head? Father, as we go into this series, I pray that we would not forget that we have been marked by you to succeed. But that that mark is taken very serious by you. We are tattooed for success, but the tattoo is, is permanent. And we need to count the cost. Are we willing to commit to making you priority in our lives? It's visible. And so it's not going to be accepted in every place. There are times when people are going to mock, may even walk away. But help us to have the courage. And I pray that we would make the commitment. For your glory, may we, just like the Hebrews did, walk in to our promise of a rich and satisfying life that you promised in John 10.10. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well.